Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fighting on Film. This week we're very excited to be joined by Jenny Grant, a postgraduate researcher focusing on the Polish experience in Britain during World War II. And we are going to be taking a look at this week films that look at the Polish 303 RAF squadron. And we're looking at 303 squadron or squadron 303, or it depends on what poster you look at and in what language it's in. And we're very excited to take on this one because it's quite interesting in the way it's approached the subject matter, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very disjointed, isn't it? It's not the, it's not the most technically adept film that I've ever seen, but then again, it's not the worst film I've ever seen. I, just, I don't know where I fall. Maybe by the end of the episode, I'll know de- definitively how I felt about it. So Jenny, as as our, as our guest, I mean, what did you make of the film? Yeah, so I mean, it, it came out in the same year, doesn't it, in, in 2018 as, as Hurricane. So it's so hard to sort of not compare, compare the two. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're both coming from a sort of good place, which is they've both got the sort of Polish-British cast. They're kind of trying to do parallels between like, you know, the Poles arriving in Britain and the challenges facing them. And, and you know, they both have sort of releases in Poland. Um the Hurricane film is is is, is pretty strong. It's, it's obviously got you know this main lead, um, which is it's, it's you and Ryan, isn't it? And so Polish film doesn't have um, anyone with the same sort of name recognition. At least not in the UK. Not in the UK, absolutely. I, I mean, the sort of Polish cast in in Poland is really really strong. Um, so this it's really as you were saying. I think disjointed is is the key word. It kind of makes this claim that it's sort of rooted in, in Fiedler's book um, that, that comes out during the, the Second World War. Um, and you're kind of hoping for sort of historical accuracy or at least some of those really sort of powerful moments that he captures in his book where we look at seen as the sort of heroics of um, Squadron 303. And instead you sort of come out for just going, is it me? Am I am I stupid? What's, what's going on here? And it's one of those where actually you do have to watch it about sort of, you get a reward at the end of it where the kind of, it all comes together and makes sense and they kind of reveal who everybody was supposed to have been. But you do spend, you're just puzzling your way through it. It's more like sort of Christopher Nolan than, than anything else and not deliberately, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great when you have to wait to the end credits for the film to go, oh, that's who that was who supposed that to is. be. Yeah. Because it possibly could have done with maybe saying that, you know, at the start, maybe like these are fictionalised um, recreations of the people. So maybe if you'd have known that going in, you might have, we might have been a bit less harsh on it, possibly, because we would have known going in, that, oh, this is a fictionalised account. But the movie sort of, from, from minute one, wants you to think this is the genuine people and the genuine history. It falls down for me there, where I'm just like, oh, OK, mm-hmm. what are you trying to do here? You're trying to do a real story. You're trying to do fictionalised. Because halfway through, for me, it turns into some weird soap opera, you know, 
evil villain-esque general character with this femme fatale that goes nowhere and, and doesn't even get resolved. And then, oh, great, they're all part of this multinational um, big wing squadron that is going to win the Battle of Britain for us right at the end. And then credits. And I'm like, oh, what, what happened? There's nothing happened in this movie. It's so weird. I don't know what you felt. It, what happened? <laughs> Well, it does. It it sort of starts off in a fairly like interesting way, and it it has them in in Britain, and it gives a couple of little flashbacks, which are quite neat and tightly done, and it explains, you know, uh, the the invasion of Poland and and the background of some of these um, the guys, but then it just sort of in the middle, it it sort of just fades off, doesn't it? And it just mm. becomes a little bit of a mishmash, and then it ends in a very odd way. Um, yeah. spoilers that the king arrives there's a dog and there's <laughs> yeah. a couple that we've never seen at any other point in the film um, oh god where yeah I forgot about them too women, women's RAF um, yeah. member chases a pilot to a plane and says don't go and then they kiss but he's never been seen on screen she's never been seen on screen and it was clearly only done for sort of like the trailer I think that's my guess this feels a bit that, that was a very bizarre way to sort of like end it. And then it obviously does do that big wing thing where they, they form up and it's CGI and there's various different, oh, it's the it's the Polish chaps. Yeah, and the know, Canadians you know. and everyone else. And you're like, this is really nice, but could we not have had this halfway through? It doesn't even end on the big wing. It goes straight into this victory parade, doesn't it? But it's oh, yeah, of course. Mm. And you're like, oh, and then there's ticker tape. You think... Well, that's weird because because this is the thing that really got me. Like, clearly, the whole point is it's pro, it's very sympathetic to the Polish experience and very critical yeah. of the British. But it misses like these really obvious opportunities to sort of show like you never see the Poles fighting back against the Germans in 1939. You know, you never see any of that. We, we get a brief discussion of the tactics, but then they rock up in the UK. So we assume that failed. You never see them yeah, fighting yeah. in France. I mean, by the time we get to the Battle of Britain, some of these guys have like faced up against the Germans twice already. Um, and then the victory parade is like the, 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 the absolute go to for like this sense of like the British Polish community sense of betrayal, like they, they weren't invited to it and, and some of the pilots were um in the end but then they don't go in solidarity with the rest of them so why you would be missing the opportunity to show the poles at their absolute best and the brits then at their worst in a film that's trying to win us over to the polish position just seems such a weird decision yeah that's the choice of stock footage to use at the end isn't it it's it's like Times square ticker tape parade as you said and it it is really jarring because if, obviously if you if you don't know your stock footage or your history, you'll just think that's a generic VE Day celebration. It's most likely a, a post-production error or the the stock footage that, that, that they wanted was just too expensive. And they, you know, they, or they didn't know the difference. Yeah, mm. it's a bit weird, isn't it? Because it's a shame because all the other stock footage that they've used is pretty good in context. It's bombed out London, it's Hurricanes and Heinkels and, and Dorniers flying around. So it, it is in context. And that bit at the end is just a bit weird. I I, I feel the same as Jenny. I don't think it really fits, you know. We were saying sort of earlier, you never get a sense of where they then go afterwards. I mean, the, the, key, the kicker is, like, most of them can't go back to Poland, can they? No. So they make their lives in the UK or they emigrate to, to Canada or, or the US and, and so forth. But, but it, it just seems, again, a really bizarre one. I mean, it's way better than the hurricane one where there's the suggestion that Zumbach has to leave or he'll be deported back to Poland. The, the Polish Resettlement Corps was created to deport Poles, which is like absolutely the opposite of what it was great for. So it avoids that crime, but it just leaves us with, oh, well, that was fine. And you think, again, that's a very weird way to end it. So I think on that note, we, we should probably just give a, a bit of an overview well, as far as we can of, of the plot um, and then dive into it a little bit more after that. So we're following uh, the 303 squadron and it's principally uh, Zumbach's character that we follow, isn't it? Um, uh, Jan Donald Zumbach. And we're introduced to his character and then we have some flashbacks of a little bit of a love interest with a female pilot trainer. Um, and then there's a little bit where he is trying to get in contact with her and then he eventually gets some letters. It's all a bit just disjointed. Mm. Um, and then we intercut into that is, is some uh, dog fights, uh, some clashing with British officers 
Um, and then there's a, a few a few little um, bits where they've clipped in where it's, it's sort of how they got got to Britain. Um, there's a there's a little bit where they've they've uh, shoehorned in a hospital being bombed, which yep. kind of sets up uh, the German ace character a little bit as being a thoroughly bad chap. Um, and then th- there's a there's a bit where uh, the Russians shoot some Polish wounded, uh, which is obviously another sort of box to tick for what they assume to be their audience. I think if that's fair to say, um, because you have to show that Poland was invaded, you know, from both directions. We sort of end around mid mid to late September 1940, just as the Battle of Britain is getting to its zenith, and then yeah. yeah. Yeah, it poises that that five second big dog fight as the big main battle, doesn't it? Over in a couple of minutes, you know, like if you're culminating your whole movie to this one point and you've used all your CGI dog fight up earlier on in the movie, just save it. Because <laughs> I don't think the CGI is awful. I think it looks good enough. Definitely seen a lot worse. You know, it's not like they've got in the people from War Thunder and they've just filmed like a video game. game. Yeah, yeah, it's not someone just playing a video <laughs> game. It's purposefully done it's probably tailor-made it looks nice enough there are some bits where the continuity is a little bit off so there's a bit in uh, one of the dog fights where he goes to sort of uh, do a um like a barrel roll and it then just cuts to him flying level and then there's a there's a little bit where uh, i think it's after um uh, paskovich shoots down the uh, bf uh, 110 um, which is shown in all movies that involve the poles obviously because it's the first polish kill it, it sort of shows um, a Messerschmitt fly off rather than a hurricane, if you look very closely, because you can see the yellow Never nose. And that. I was like, oh, God. That's, that's very weird. So there's continuity errors. And you're right, it, the CGI is is better than, yeah. say, hurricane, which is quite boring and static. At least this does show some ducking, diving, weaving, mm. and you know what you expect to see in a dogfight. $4 million budget. I mean, I think they did what they could. Where it was good in the CGI... Uh, you know, it might not be entirely 100% accurate in the way planes fly or whatever. I'm not an expert in flying, but then the film really lacks for its setting and its scene and everything else. It just is really lacking. Mm, it just mm. feels really flat. You know, no, no, it's not clearly not filmed in Northolt or anywhere near, anywhere near Kent. You know, it's a shame. I do think that was like budget restraints because you just look at it and you just go, you look at the, it, they, they save on location, don't they? So yeah. like Denver is a goddamn mansion. You know, this, this is where they, they train and there's five of them in a tent. Mm-hmm. And then like Northolt, you've got three squadrons. You've got a concrete runway. You surround, it's North London for heaven's sake. There's buildings left, right and centre. Yeah. And you get the impression that it's a couple of huts and then these guys, you know, surrounded by, you know, wilderness. I think it's the same field, isn't it? Just shot at a different angle. Yeah, yeah, different times of day. It's um, and then yeah, there's that bit where they finally achieve sort of celebrity status, and it's like fantastic. We're gonna, you know, they've had a couple of nights out at the Orchard Pub. That's that's fine. It's like right, big one here. Come on, let's do that scene in the Dorchester that you get in Hurricane where they go and they sort of meet all the sort of British socialites. And so, oh no, we're back at the Orchard Pub, but this time we're being brought around. I mean, wow. Okay, um, again, it's just it's just very very sort of strange, sort of penny pinching, isn't it? And, and I do understand. It's better to have made it than not but there's just an awful lot of tents well that that's it but then they have like scenes where they'll go back before the war and they're in like a a, a nice sort of dining room in a restaurant somewhere and they meet the german um ace or the german officer and and that that's all very you know lavishly produced and, and quite well done and but we don't get that elsewhere and then it's quite dark and dingy in the bits that are supposed to be the dorchester there's some there's some very bizarre bits in the film where there's a bit where one of them takes up a violin and, and it's almost like Back to the Future where it's like your kids are going to love this and they all start dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it just it just doesn't. It's very odd, and I suppose it's trying to like do this thing where they they show that the, the poles have a lot to offer, not just by fighting, but culturally they have a lot to offer, which is great. I, I appreciate that. It just doesn't yeah. really fit in to to mm. to that part of the film very well. It's just a bit weird. Like, it's really interesting to say that because, like, you you read like um, Fiedler um, sort of reflects back on on his original book, and he's saying it that that was the whole point. It was to to persuade people to see the poles, you know, not as sort of superheroes, um, but just as you know, you know. And he's trying to get to the heart of that sort of British exceptionalism thing of mm. you know other people just other 
people um, and try to sort of win sympathy. But throughout, he's also, you know, his book plays this major role in boosting morale in occupied Poland. So again, you've got like this idea of two audiences already then and um, that feeds back here. But um, it's just it's it's just like you're being beaten over the head repeatedly by how evil the Brits are. Mm. Um, it's like. You know, when you watch like The West Wing and it's like sort of it's Aaron Sorkin, it's beautiful, characterization's perfect. And then you get the single British character, which is, is it is it Lord John Marbury? And like he's this old Etonian and, and like, you know, he's a chap what hunts. And it's like that plus like the officers of the Death Star. Like there isn't a single <laughs> yeah. Brit in there, is there? Yeah, everyone's, yeah, yeah. everyone's speaking in received pronunciation. Absolutely as well. Even but the yeah, I mean, like, Slip for God's sake! I mean, this is yeah, it's it's, it's weird. It's um, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. just. I, I, obviously, we want it was overdubbed as well, so we have to like sort of put that into context. There's a bit where mm. um, there's a speech. Oh, who? Which character is it that delivers the big speech? And is that the Ivanovich one that he does in English, which makes that's right. Yeah. It is. It's the Ivanovich one where he says, um, uh, "We're here. We are Polish army." Um, give those bloody Germans hell. I, I'm I'm assuming I'll give the film the benefit of the doubt and and assume that that sounded that speech that he gives there sounded much more coherent and a lot better in the original Polish, which is super weird because yeah. I don't know why they decided to dub that. He would have given no. it in Polish because at that point he's addressing the Polish squadron because the English yeah. officer's just spoken and it's fallen a bit flat. So he steps forward to give a speech, but then he does it in in English. And it's just like, mm. well, why aren't we it, getting that? Yeah, and the language thing's so key because, I mean, actually, a lot of them, the Poles, they, they spoke French. Yes. So, like, Athel Forbes, who's like this malevolent Tim Henman character, like, I mean, he he spoke fluent French. He had a really good relationship with them on the basis of that. Um, and, but... And you see that for a moment where you've got Zumbach speaking to Jones, wanted to track down Yagoda, and he says, could we speak in French? Um, but then yes. they don't do that consistently. Um, and then actually it turns out a lot of the time their English is, is fine. You think, oh, my gosh. And then, yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. It, it, from, a, from a viewing point of view as well, that really is jarring because I think the first two lines of the movie are dubbed um, where it's like, oh, we're flying for freedom, and then it cuts. Um, you know, like when they're in there... Um, what are they called not barracks what the, the little hut things mm. yeah when they're like little hut in on the airfield they go, yeah oh, little quonset you know, like, barrack thing. Yeah, yeah like we're flying for freedom and that's dubbed and then then and then they're talking polish with subtitles then there's not then sometimes there is and then the germans speak german with subtitles and me and my wife we talk about it a lot because she did film at university worked in corporate film for a number of years and she's like you're never quite sure if a movie is really good when it's either when it's dubbed or when it's subtitled because you can't appreciate the the original language the prop the actual language that's being spoken you can't appreciate it as it's not your native tongue so you're not sure what you're watching is good acting or not yeah i think it's where that where the film falters for me is if it had just been in polish and german with some english characters i'd have been happy because I'd have just read the subtitles and it'd been fine, and I could have appreciated it a hell of a lot more. But because there's so many different languages being spoken, and there's such change in, you know, when there's subtitles, and when there's not, when there's dubbing, it just really confused me by the end. And that's why I couldn't keep up with the characters. I couldn't keep up with plot lines, because I was either doing too much reading and trying to get into scenes, or I wasn't. I found it really coherent. This is the first time I think I've watched a film for for the podcast where I've come away and I'm thinking, what the hell did I just watch? you know me and Matt I was te like texting Matt afterwards and I was like Matt I found that really difficult yeah and um I the, there's all the reviews that I found for for the, this episode there's one from the Radio Times um and it was by James Luxford and he gives it two stars out of five so did the Guardian actually as well um and they say emphasizing the heroine the heroism of real life pilots the movie displays a sincerity in its message that is unfortunately not matched by spectacle it looks cheaply made and struggles to balance a multi-language script that uh, mires itself in melodrama. Plot points are abandoned with frustrating regularity, and characters' motivations aren't always clear. The area of combat is thrilling at times, although it's not always terribly clear, and again is held back by switches in language. It's an ambitious but flawed film. The true story behind 303 Squadron is a lot more interesting than this basic reenactment. I think you hit the nail on the head there, really. Before this, we were, we were talking, uh, and Jenny, you were saying that it wasn't particularly well received in, in Poland either. And there's a, uh, a Polish film website called FilmWeb that gave it 
um, I believe gave it um, four out of 10, which is, you know, indicative of that, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's got really good popular Polish actors behind it as well to sort of bring them on side, you know. Um, you, you know, the chap who plays um, Urbanovich, I mean, he's a damn chick. He's, he's, he's great. Like, he's played the Pope. He's played Chopin. He's a really safe player. Everyone. The thing I found awful also was that it's almost like they snagged these two excellent actors and then couldn't really um, be sort of decide who the film was supposed to pivot around. So you've kind of yeah. got some like to begin with with a love story. And then they bring sort of Urbanovich in and then they've got like this file where, you know, um, Victoria, the sort of, you know, uh, the sort of um, sort of PA chicky is supposed to sort of, you know, lay this honey trap for him. And they've got this big file and there's a bit of me just going, oh God, these guys don't even have documentation attesting the fact that they're pilots because, you know, occupation and everything. Where the hell did you get a file on this job? A, and why did you get a file on this job? And yeah, why yeah. we now can, and then she hits on him and then doesn't succeed. And then he just goes and sort of shouts at a priest angrily. And it's all very strange. And she's meant to be an actress and, and, and her motivation is getting back in films. Yeah. And all that. Well, they they shoehorn that MI five plot in there as well, where she's supposed to be gathering information on these Polish pilots, and she goes for Zumbach rather than Banovich. Kent, I think it is, isn't it? Major Kent. He's very yeah. very unhappy about this, and then he just plays a bastard the rest of the film. So when yeah. she falls for Zumbach, obviously, um, she's not a real person, by the way. It's a complete fictional character. Um, Victoria Brown, played by um, Cara Theobald. She's doing what she can with the role, um, but it's there's not a lot there for it. And I think the most nuanced part is the, the bit where she breaks up with him, where she says, I've gotten you a transfer, which I don't think is possible because she obviously doesn't have that authority. Um, no. And he's he's obviously doesn't want this because he wants to be a fighter pilot because he is a fighter pilot. And he, he refuses this. And she says, oh, well, I'm going to break up with you then, just leave. And it, it's all very sort of just where is stunned as Zumbach is in, in that moment because we don't know what the hell is going on. And then the Major Kent character walks in sort of clapping and saying, great performance. And she says, Mission, mission's over. I don't want to be a, a, a war widow, which then gives that whole scene a little bit more, you know, clarity. It makes a yeah. little bit more sense. But the fact, the fact she was a an out-of-work actress who just happened to be working for MI5 is just completely abandoned. Yeah. You know, I'm like, what? Like, it's so, it just confused me. It fried my brain at points. I was like, but you've just set this up. Now you're setting this up. And there were three, there were three writers involved in this. And I think it's where maybe, as like going back a few weeks, where the Forgotten Battle um, fell down as well, because there were six writers on that. And I think sometimes maybe the vision of one is getting overtaken by the other and they're all trying to get in their own little bits and bobs and there's just not a coherent script. Well, this was written by Chris uh, Berdurza and, yeah. and Tomas Kepski. And, and it's it, as we mentioned before, it's, it's um, based on Fiedler's 1940 book, isn't it? Um, I don't know if you want to give us a little bit of context about that, Jenny, because it, the, the book itself is fascinating and the aim he had for it. Yeah, so I mean, when the sort of the Polish armed forces um, like arrive in the UK, yes, they want to re rebuild their, their military, but they've always got an eye on the fact that if they are attracting headlines, that's good for Poland, the Polish cause. And um, so you get all these books, you know, called things like Poland Fights Back and, and so forth, and um, where it's sort of looking at the Navy and it's looking at the army sort of on sentry duty. It's looking at, you know, Carpathian Brigade. And um, they didn't necessarily expect the Poles, the Air Force to sort of be, be the one that sort of took attention. So it actually the British newspapers pick up on the, the polls in 303 before the sort of the Polish propaganda machine kicks in. So Fiedler talks about going and visiting Sikorsky saying, you know, do you want me to look at these guys? And, and then he spends time at Northolt. So from that perspective, yes, the book, I mean, he's a travel writer. His books are all these sort of really tight little vignettes of sort of poignancy and adventure and, and so forth. Um, and he does apply that treatment, but it's a really stonkingly good book. I mean, everybody should absolutely read it. Um, and yeah, it, it was very much about sort to promoting the Polish cause, but it's, it's very sort of open-eyed. It's not sort of triumphalist. It's not, um, yeah, it, it, you know, he's talking about the, these guys do this, but they're doing this because they're really well-trained. It's not that we can just say um, that they're really motivated because they've had their country. It's not that simple, but, you know, that's really doing a disservice to them and to Poland. They are phenomenally well-trained. Mm. The film does get that across quite 
a little bit, doesn't it? It sort of emphasizes the number of flying hours and it has that little training scene where they're having a oh lecture. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that scene is one of the weirdest. So you've got like your squadron and you've got the pole sort of moseying around outside, sort of, you know, because they can't, you know, they're still in training, they can't get up. And then this young guy, uh, you know, the bell goes to scramble and this single guy runs yes. towards the plane who is supposedly English and says he's had like 10 hours mm-hmm. flying. Um, but he's got a Polish accent, which breaks my brain at this point. Yep. Uh, and then, like, why are you stopping a guy running to a plane? And what sort of formation is this? You've got, like, a 19-year-old by himself going up to sort of face up again. I have no Minimum idea. Minimum of 12 was supposed to go up, wasn't it, in, in a squadron? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I know the Germans where their budget stretches to two Germans, so they keep going up together yeah. and, and don't seem to meet anybody else either. But um, I mean, I think we were lucky to get any Germans. I think we were, um, yeah. Well, I, I think Fiedler's book is is fascinating in that it's it's got all this great source material, but you were mentioning before we began recording that they just don't seem to use any of it. No. And that that source material probably would have lifted the film. Yeah, Carabin, you know, he's sort of chasing the, this German down, you know, the sort of Thames estuary and across some Rochester over to Canterbury, and then he realises he's out of um, ammunition when he's finally, you know, so he actually comes down within three foot and then forces forces um, the, the German plane to crash. I mean, how good would that be? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that would have been all right. Or you've got the one where um, one of the chaps um, realises that he's been hit and he's over the sea, and then he's escorted by the, the, these two other Polish pilots, um, and they maintain radio silence until they reach and you know his altitude is falling another really cracking scene you know all of these chapters are written with with this in mind yeah and none of that's used no and it's even more bizarre where the movie has had um like permission to use his book from the estate of Hitler so why not turn his book into the movie but then why not poise him as sort of you're viewing it through his eyes almost like um Ernie Pyle's film uh, the story of G.I. Joe where Burgess Meredith playing Ernie Pyle is like your focus, but then, oh no, the movie's actually about American soldiers in the war. Why can't you have done that here? Where you start off with the, oh, this journalist is going to come write a book about you chaps. Oh, great. But then the movie actually turns out we're actually honouring 303 Squadron through his words. It's just an easier film to make, surely, with the budget that you have. It's, It's really weird. You know, it's almost like they just want the recognition of using the guy's name and being able to use his name for the notoriety. And it's just a shame of what they end up with. It's it's really bizarre. Yeah. I mean, you really need like, you know, in Memphis Bell, where, you know, the journalist is introduced to all of the bomber crew. You needed that because mm. I mean, I get to the end of it going, oh, God, that was frantic. And thinking, oh, for the love of God, like I study this stuff. I had no clue. Um, it, it's Yeah. You're lost. Exactly. So you've got no idea who anybody is. You've no idea what time frame you're in. Um, I think the big thing that I found jarring was comparing it like to the Battle of Britain movie where you get the phases of the Battle of Britain at no sense do you really know what's at stake you, you don't get that from the British perspective so you occasionally get the MI5 chap coming in and sort of talking about oh you know we'll last for two months until the Americans join and what the hell is that yeah, in itself yeah. but you know you know oh they, they, they've gone the airfields or they've transferred to London and or or where suddenly you've got the big one it's assuming a huge amount of knowledge but there's nothing to build on you I don't know if this dogfight's important at this stage or or not i've no idea what's happening here yeah and that i think as well that's probably that might bring us on to the alley tally so we can actually talk about some positives (laughs) (laughs) it's time for alley tally on fighting on film jenny as always when we have a guest on we we let them choose their alley pick first so what did you choose for a bit of kit or a bit of something that you loved or enjoyed from this one um i mean i think because they've got this um, reduced budget and um, they really make the use of the planes that they do actually have and um, so you get these really beautiful sort of photography you've got the sort of hurricane on the on the field at sort of dusk and it kind of you know the camera kind of licks it it's really sort of lingering on it and then you get really really sort of detailed use of the hurricanes when they're sort of taxiing and they're taking off and that sense when Zumbach first takes off, it's, it is a gorgeous scene and it, it is gorgeous use of the, of the aircraft. So yep, that's yep. done phenomenally well, I think. 
And, and that hurricane is from um, the historic aircraft collection at Duxford. And it's currently known as a Hurricane P3700. Um, but it actually was built in 1942 um, and it was delivered to the Royal Canadian Air Force in 1943. Um, and in 2015, um, to commemorate the 75th anniversary of Battle of Britain, it was marked up as a, a 303 Squadron Hurricane. So I think it's just one of the things that the film has in its cap, that it does have an actual hurricane. And as Jenny says, the shots of it are nice. You know, if you're a, if you're a plane fan or an aircraft fan, like, just got to love a hurricane. I think they just look... Well, they, they are a bit forgotten as well, aren't they? You know, everyone thinks Spitfires and that's... Yeah. Personally, I, I, I really like them to see them. They're always nice to see. And it was nice. I, I like, it's just nice to see chaps in having flying jackets because they always look great, don't they? And the, the, it's the, a good the roll neck and stuff. It's all that iconic, like, RAF dress that you'd like to see in a movie. And that was quite, that was good, I guess. You know, if I had to pick something else out. Oh, and before you move on, didn't have a, a Bedford water bowser or fuel bowser for their scenes, <laughs> which is criminal. No Bedford trucks. No. No Bedford trucks. No trucks I mean, at come all, on, really. ubiquitous. No, no. The, the, they had the, that weird. North like... was very sparse. Yeah, well, they've got a single member of the ground crew, haven't they? Who just sort of like looks on or smokes his cigarette through his cigarette holder. <laughs> um, working his battle dress off the poor boy, running around after them all. Well, that's it. What, it was 8,000 8, 8, Polish Air Force. At yeah. the time, wasn't it? And it, that was split between aircraft crew and pilots. So we always think yeah. of the pilots. So it would have been nice to have a bit more inclusion of, you know, one of the ground crew. But we get we get sort of like a nod to them. I mean, sticking with the hurricane, um, I really liked all the shots through the the reflex sights in in the cockpits. So we might talk a bit more about you know those some of those cockpit scenes later on. But I really liked how they they showed that, and you get you get to see that in in other films. You see that in um, Dunkirk really well, actually. That's one of the positives of Dunkirk. Yeah. Um, the cockpit scenes are quite good. You get you get that early uh, reflex sight, which is like a reflected light onto a little plate of glass, and you can see the the uh, the enemy planes, and you get lots of gratuitous sort of shots of the of the the three or three Brownings in the wings going, and and the bits of fabric flaking off from the gun cover, that, which yeah. is you know. Really that nice always looks nice on screen. You, mm, you don't you don't get that in um, Hurricane as much. Just to bring it back and compare it to the other three or three film for the for the gun nerds out there, they are they were probably uh, either uh, FN N nineteen thirty nine Brownings or um, Browning Colt Mark two stars. So they're, they're the aircraft sort of variation of the of the Browning machine gun. Um, and I suppose this is a good sort of point to talk about how long they were firing their guns because that's something everyone always talks about when it comes to Dunkirk where like Tom Hardy's never-ending sort of ammunition I think this film's guilty of that a little bit perhaps you get 16 to 19 seconds um, of, of ammunition in a hurricane slightly more than in a Spitfire according to um, Anthony Williams who's who has a book on um, aircraft arm that I've just picked that fact from uh, but it, they do show quite long bursts and there's there's bits where you think does the cgi um designer know how bullets work because they're sort of going all over the place yeah after the scene where the the chap in poland's going like you know zero in your guns mm. to 150 250 you think well if that's important for the script then in the film then surely you should show the guys being really bang on with their accuracy then yeah especially if they're Pilots that have fought the the Luftwaffe before in Poland and had four hundred hours flight training and in France, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it put, I'm gonna maybe you know pick out my head, but I'd assume maybe the CGI just didn't have as much, you know, chatting between the crew, perhaps. Yeah, so that they may not have had the you know a historical consultant to sort of explain yeah. what was needed in those shots. I mean, we have some sort of. Um, gun camera footage from the war, obviously that they may have used as a reference, and you do see sort of like tra uh, tracer flying around, and and uh, it's quite quite smoky and, and yeah, not, not the clearest of, of things. But Memphis Bell, yeah, that you don't really they they didn't really sort of get the concept of leading aircraft either, and you know aiming in front of them. It was always yeah. they were only fired when they, the 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 red dot was lined up. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. 
It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Bang on the aircraft, which isn't super accurate both in, in a real sense and in the film sense. And you never see them taking down bombers at all, do you? It's it's all, I don't think, which is kind of what they're most famous for, was was they would ignore the fighters and they'd hone in on the bombers. That, that's what they wanted to do. And you don't see a single instance of that. Um, it's because you've got to kill your your German ace, haven't you? You've got to get yes. him, he's the big baddie. Well, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to wound him enough so he has a little scene at the end of the film where... Um, his commanding officer puts a, a speech sent sent to him on of I think Goebbels. Um, he gets that by Goering on Vine, and uh, yeah. then then he very purposely his arms in a, in like a sling held up bandaged, and it sort of mimics a Nazi salute, and he very very pointedly sort of like takes a pair of scissors and cuts that so his arm falls flat. And it's it's um. You know, in Harry Potter, where like Ron Weasley gets like the envelope and he opens it, and it's like his mom yes. shouts. It's that, isn't it? It's that, isn't it? Yeah. Gearing envelope delivered by an owl is very weird. I know you've got like 70% burns all over your body, but here's your flying marshal like Gearing having a right pop at you, mate. And you, you know, it's really mean. And it's a really nice hostel. Like it's got a gramophone, it's got wine. I mean, it it was nice. The spoils of, of, you know, war and taking over France quick, I guess. But it's, it's weird because those scenes are quite technically really well done. And like that's where the, budget looks like it's gone into those scenes at points it's old isn't it it's well lit well shot and then other bits aren't quite as as well composed you feel quite sympathetic for the chap like when maybe when you shouldn't because they poised him as this evil nazi horrible fighter pilot he bombed a, bombed a hospital yeah exactly and then at the end of the movie, you're like, oh, I kind of feel sorry for you because that's how the scene wants you to feel it's mm. a weird turnaround again i'm like but surely no, I shouldn't. It's a really clumsy sort of attempt to deal with the sort of the clean Luftwaffe myth, isn't it? You've got literally two Germans. One of them's good, honourable, internationally minded. You know, he's got friends who are Polish and everything. And the other one's that sort of fanatical one. And, and, you know, in the end, yeah, I, I mean, that scene where he's sort of got his arm up in the sling and sort of the salute and then his friend cuts it off. And it's just like, it, it doesn't go anywhere. I don't know what it's supposed to, you know. Um, and then it, it, it could develop this, you know, like there's loads of cases where, um, I think it's Krasnodemsky, who is originally the squadron leader of 303. So he's written out. That annoys mm. me greatly. So you get Urbanovich being sort of promoted squadron um, leader, um, you know, bef- and Krasnodemsky is written out when actually he's there until the 6th of September. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, he goes down, he doesn't open his chute till right, um, until he's well out of the combat zone, because in Poland, the Germans had targeted the Poles that, that were parachuting out. And he's learned that. So again, you've got lots that you could have developed there without this very sort of klutzy sort of yin yang to German chaps. It's, mm, yeah. it's very weird. It's annoying, isn't it, when you, when, when you know the actual history when you know what actually happens and you see what gets put on screen, it just makes you angry, doesn't it? Because you're like, that's just far more interesting. It's it's missed opportunities, isn't it? Like really? on every single level. And what makes it worse with three or three squadrons, it's had three, well, two really, two efforts at this in recent years. And obviously we have the more, you know, iconic depiction in, in Battle of Britain, which is probably the, the best depiction. <laughs> yeah, you know. so. um, yeah. but these two just seem to be, you know, missed opportunities. I think you're right. And before we move on from the Alitali, um, I wanted to. I've been wanting to ask a, an expert for for years about this. About this. So whenever you watch a movie and the three hundred three squadron are portrayed in any sort, of, even in Battle of Britain, they always go, "Oh, no, no Polish chit chat on the on the comms." You know, like very clipped officer says that. Is that based in fact, or is that for the camera? Like, is that for, for the narrative of a movie? Like, how is that? Where's the basis in history for that? 
Yeah. So, I mean, the big, big concern was when the polls, um, like, I mean, this is September 39, were kind of offering the services to Britain and France um, and that they wanted to be fighters. And the Brits were like, no, no, you, you can be in bombers because we the language problem with the doubting system is so you, you will never get over it. I mean, it just can't. Um, but they end up having to. So you get these scenarios where they're doing sort of intensive language courses and so forth. Um, but yeah, one of the difficulties is that, you know, once they're up there, they get excited um, and they call out to each other and, and they do it in, in um, you know, in Polish because, yes, they've, they've been in the country for weeks at this point. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to impact on their, you know, you know, performance. So um, there's that element. But I mean, I think one of the key things is like the German um, sort of um, discipline um, over the air was actually worse than the Poles. I mean, we're, we're getting hints of, you know, where sort of German positions are from um, sort of intercepting their, their, their messages. So. Um, yes, it, it was a thing that was raised, but I don't, it doesn't look like it's a sort of deal breaker, does it? I mean, given that, no. you know, the success of 303, um, it's one of the difficulties of trying to have these sort of, you know, you've got your duplicated roles, you've got your sort of um, British or Canadian officers, um, and then your Canadians and, 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 and the Poles, and they're all trying to sort of coordinate with each other in sort of English or French, and then you've got like Kent's got his glossary on his knee. Um, but yeah, in terms of, you know, actually them, them talking on the air, yeah, it, it, it was a thing. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's not unexpected. No, these guys, you do have, you know, the, the poles that are embedded with the RAF squadrons that came over December, January, and, and so been, been training. Their English is much stronger and that they're, they're sort of out of the, you know, if you learn a language, you want to be out of your own language sort of environment, don't you? And um, so these guys are much, much better. But I mean, even in sort of July, Dowding's talking about he doesn't, he would much prefer to have foreign squadrons then you know the, the difficulty of trying to embed the, these foreigners um in there he's he's very very hung up on the sort of the language difficulty element of it um so yeah it, it kind of comes through because the, the polls i mean even when you're looking at sort of uh, the polls in the first polish army division in 44 um or you know sort of writing in 45 you know when they've been up in scotland for four years quite often their english isn't that sound i mean it varies massively be between individuals and their you know how adept they are and most polls are sort of at least bilingual um you know so it's not they can't but it's that they are in camps with fellow poles you know unless they're sort of dating opportunity they don't really have much opportunity um you know it's, it's not being sort of ingrained in them to that degree Oh, great. I've just always wondered. No repeat, please, Cause... in this one either, though. Yeah. Oh, come no. on. It's iconic, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. absolutely iconic. Yeah. Use... I, and uh, it's a bit mean to say, but they keep mentioning Angels 1-5 because that's what you say when you've got, you know, enemy on the way. But I just wish I could have watched Angels 1-5. Attitude 1,500, is it? Something? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it, a, it's, a, it's a better film, isn't it, really, yeah. than this one? <laughs> <You know? laughs> RAF jargons like is really really crucial because there's a big debate on what do the polls actually need to know mm. so you've got what your standard sort of instructions so like angels and bandits would be part of that but like at the beginning where it starts off with tally ho and you think oh my god but obviously that was actually that the phrase they would use for we're about to go and engage these guys yeah. but you know to us it sounds so clunky and awful um but you know the RAF jargon is so very chaptastic isn't it I mean, it is all, yeah. yeah 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 well I, there's parts of the it. film with the dialogue of that that isn't explained at all now Hurricane actually does show one of those sort of like lessons where that Zombach's character is sort of like going through it with them and it's like pancake is land and you know angels is, is altitude and various bits and bobs so you're watching you're watching three or three squadron and you've got someone over the radio shouting pancake and and if you have, if you know that from watching another film or knowing the actual history you're you're sat there thinking why is someone saying so pancake? Talking about their breakfast you know what I mean? yeah it's, it's just like, it's come on. pancake what yeah that's something that you think they would have explained and they it's even a bit about battle of britain don't know they have a scene that they're doing that too yeah. it's it's just a little neat little nice little tidbit there that they could have added you know, it's just a shame that they don't. I think that's probably the, that seems to be the crux of every point we're making. It's just a shame that they didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. As I say, I think it's just budgetary restraints and maybe. What do you think of the uniforms? I quite like the fact that they included the the little Polish. Um, that was nice badge. Yeah. Above the the uh, the RAF wings. Did, was yeah, was, was there nice. a name for that, Jenny? I... Um. No, but well, I mean, presumably there is. But um, I mean, God, when you go back to like. October, November, when they're trying to work out how it's going to work with like the Polish Air Force mm. um, in Britain. 
and they have to negotiate every bloody aspect. So wow. it's like, you know, actually having the sort of the Polish checkerboard, where do you place that on, on the plane? Wow, okay. um, where do you wear your badge? Where do you the Polish cap badge? And then you obviously have to get them ordered, for example. Um, and then you've got other aspects like, you know, um, okay, at the station, where do you have the Polish flag in relation to the British flag, for example? And then like they have to do an oath uh, to the king because they start off as part of the um, Royal Air Force Voluntary Reserve um, before they, they they become like the, the independent ones sort of later in 1940. So it's like there's this big debate on can they swear an oath to both the king and to the Polish Republic and all of this. So all of that element, like the, the uniform method, is, is, is being negotiated at the very highest level really early on. It seems so kind of almost petty to us um, given the stakes. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. That point yeah, in the world where everything's on the line and, the, and we're trying to decide whose flag's going to be higher. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's that it's classic like, thing of, you know, ordering however many hundred thousand LDV armbands and then the next week they're like oh no we're going to call it the home guard now we've wasted all this like cloth you know <laughs> the really important stuff that we need you know it's, yeah. it's that classic bureaucracy red tape we love it in england don't we so i think that probably brings us on to favorite scenes jenny is our guest what what's your favorite scene I mean, I've talked about the, the one that's just kind of epitomises everything that's wild, where it is the squadron and then this single sort of English chap emerges. And, and that's kind of just because none of it makes sense. And, and but I mean, I think the my the one, the legitimate one that not the, the narky one um, is where you've got Stanley Vincent and another evil Brit. I don't know if he even has a name arrive. Um, and and they're, they're sort of, you know, again, kicking back, frustrated that they can't get up in the air. And, um, and they, they say, OK, well, let's just see what the polls can do. Again, a bit weirdly, um, Zumbach then volunteering to go up in a, a hurricane for the first time. Again, they've been training on these for heaven's sake. But anyway, so he gets to go up in a, a hurricane for the first time. Heaven never been. In, and you think, well, that's a wild way of training pilots, isn't it? I mean, it's, this is an expensive bit of kit. Yeah. We're not going to tell him how it works. We're not going to tell him how to turn it on. Or we're not going to mention the retractable wheels, anything. Um and he gets in, um, and then again, it's like, okay, so what, what are we testing here? So he, he goes up, and that scene is beautiful. I mean, he sort of, you know, taxis and takes off, and then he's up through the clouds, and that is just such a beautiful scene. But again, you're thinking, what are we trying to prove that what he's able to land, and therefore, is that winning? Is that not? I mean, he's out of sight for this entire experiment. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a little bit in there where the, the, the RAF officer goes, he's gone above the clouds, we can't see him. Like, well, what were you expecting him to do? <laughs> Am I right in thinking that that is the only time we see them taxi and actually take off and, and fly the hurricane? Oh. Because all of this just seem to sort of like jump into cut scenes of the CGI and the cockpit scenes. Yeah, I think you might I, be right there. It's one of the few, I think, where you do actually see him take off. There's obviously the one where he, he escapes in that blue plane. Well, he's in the romantic scene with Yagoda. Like yes. He's an aviation engineer and he's, I swear to God, explained to her what the instrument panel does. And, you know... <laughs> He's leaving that goddamn cockpit without a black eye. I don't know what's going on because that was yeah, just yeah. horrible. Especially I mean, when she's introduced as the lecturer. Yeah, but she's she was talking about direct fuel injection. Yeah. I mean, she's the daughter of the goddamn clearly the sort of the plane guru in Poland. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what you're telling me how a plane works? And, oh no, that that grated. The scripting so bizarre in places, so weird, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they make a lot um, of that direct fuel injection thing, and it's it's the Germans have had direct fuel, fuel injection for two years, and then they go, the hurricane doesn't have direct fuel injection, and you're mm. thinking, is this in, is this important? Do I need yeah, to? It's know like they're trying to dig at the hurricane for like no reason. Yeah. You're like, why are you trying to dig at the hurricane? Like, that's not the problem with the movie. At and, all. But then he lands and he goes, it was great. The, the plane's yeah. the plane's great, and, and he pulls yeah. out his water waterstone special hardback hurricane oh um, God, manual yeah. i mean that scene is great it. for the cinematography isn't it mm, as, yeah. as you were saying jenny but god like the the fact that there's dialogue in there is it was like i hope the the manual is in there like no there wouldn't be a manual in the plane there wouldn't yeah. be an english manual or a polish manual <laughs> where are you gonna pull over to check a manual yeah it was like the joke that the Polish guy's playing is just like, oh, I'm sure I'll read the manual when it's up in the air. I, I thought it was humour. Yeah, I, I mean, too. I could be overstating it massively and it messed <laughs> me to make the intelligence there. But um, yeah, it was it kind of... But, and then yeah. he hands it with a bullet hole through it. It's so yeah. weird. Yeah. 
and I, I I did pause because you can buy that manual. So that's just something they've got like from a bookshop. It just looked really weird, you know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's, it's oh, got like Gil Sands font that all the, <laughs> does, uh, the reproductions does it, yeah. used, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, if it had been a Haynes manual, that would have been hilarious. But you know. <laughs> Can I just put in another scene that I could? Of course, you can. You're the guest. So, so there's um, Athel Forbes. So I mean, we'll just assume that he's had a terrible relationship so far and been this very stuck up for it, but somehow he's now won over to them, and, and that's fine. Um, and he swaps um, his um, uh, uniform, doesn't he, for, for the Polish uniform and, and, and the orchard to give him better look with the ladies, and that actually did happen. And um, you've got like quite a few sort of court cases where people have done like this pro- men have done this sort of prolonged fraud pretending to be polish airmen and wow. sort of you know win a, a woman or get money out of them and so forth um and you've got cases like in blackpool where people would put in um polish accents to sort of have greater success with the women so that scene i did like a lot i, I just thought that that was you know we were talking about the sort of the pulling power of the polish airmen and that sort of novelty element um you know it yeah again you've got that thing with the rp though they go to the orchard pub and it's like a finishing school has descended on the place <laughs> yeah hello, i'm matilda hello stefan oh, oh, hello. Hello. yes um yes yeah, so, so i quite liked that element of it um the relationship with victoria brown i mean just doesn't hold for me no. at all and no. she goes from being like not very keen to see the poles die to really not wanting them to die but it's not like the greatest most charitable sort of character arc is it not really. just, no uh, one has a great arc really do they no one's given i think the guy that gets the best arc is probably the german ace uh, from like in a weird way if you think about it you know he has he because his scenes are so small mm. maybe i don't know like i'm it's, not trying to be a it's sympath- weird, isn't it? such a, or anything for such a small cast of central characters with a lot of people around the edges that you you sort of don't know who they're supposed to be or what what their what their role is, it it does feel like no one gets a great deal of development. Um, yeah, there's no obviously it's only spanning what a year from September mm. thirty nine to um, September forty, but within that time they've fought in two you know campaigns. They've yeah. escaped. Their homeland is occupied. And we're not getting a lot of this nuance, I don't think. No, and it's, you could have picked like three people, had them escape, had them fight in the Polish Air Force against the, the Luftwaffe in 39, had them escape, then had them coming over and you know facing the adver- adversity and will they be allowed to fly, will they not? And then finally at the end, oh no, they do get to fly and oh my God, they're so brilliant. It just narrow down your characters and the yeah. film will be better off for it. You know, it's not like these guys aren't interesting enough on their own. We're trying to get the whole, you know, the British were suspicious of the polls. I mean, in the first place, there's like these really sort of uh, proper security concerns. Like you've got all these guys arriving. Well, they've got no paperwork deliberately because they've had to like get rid of it and then travel on fake documentation yeah. from Romania. And um, so how the hell do we know? And then there's sort of big concerns about bringing Polish mechanics in and like working on Spitfires or working on sort of, you know, sensitive production. So that was in place. I mean, almost... I think it might even be September 9th, 39, they work out that if they give all the polls arriving the same block of passport numbers, they'll be able to monitor them. So there is security um, there, but the idea that you've got this weird MI5 conspiracy, it's like, why do you not have a doubting character who legitimately does express his concerns about the polls and being really sort of hostile to the, the polls sort of um, coming in? Uh, it, it seems weird to not have doubting. Um, and you've got, you know, the sort of the British and, and the Canadian sort of officers in 303 aren't really made much of either. No. So you've just got like this evil guy who hates the polls. And what's yeah. going on? I think they've had enough, honestly. I, I, I don't know where you want to take them. I mean, they, they've lost everything. They're now fighting for Germany. That's literally it. Where, where are we going with this? He's like a villain when there's no need for a villain. Yeah, it's very odd. It's so and weird. It's, there's so much they could have done, as you've said, Jenny, that to bring out that friction with you know the British authorities at the beginning and all these elements of they would have been in you know bombers or can we trust them? Who are they, etc.? There's so much that could have been sort of included in in the film that is just sort of ignored and left by the wayside. Left by the wayside. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, I've got 
a quote here, which I mean, like we're talking about, you know, if you want a proper caliber, they could do that. I mean, you know, and um, so we've got some air ministries discussions about, right, we'll make them operational loggers because we need them, but we don't really want them. Um, it's not ideal. Um, and so it's talking about, OK, so they're being formed out of operational necessity. Mm. And then they're saying, right, OK, so if the casualties are higher than we than, you know, um, anticipate, then we'll just withdraw the polls and checks from the RAF squadrons. Um, but if they're lower, um, right, well, OK, um, they can be employed in RAF squadrons or ferrying. And then the quote is until they are required to fill dead men's shoes. I mean, this is, you know, official sort of, uh, sort of correspondence between sort of various departments. You know, been, they have that callousness. So don't, don't get me wrong, but it's just weird to make it as this pantomime villain rather than to make it an actual sort of British character that's, that's actually, you know, sort of expressing these views. It's, um, mm. yeah. I suppose it's that, that it's a sort of operational approach to it and they're being realistic and that they don't know what kind of resource these pilots are going to be. Um, but there is obviously some of that, you know, prejudice of the foreigner in there as well. But the that kind of nuance just isn't captured in this film. Not it's captured a little bit better in Hurricane, perhaps, because it does show RAF pushback and it does mention the fact that they should be going into bombers, etc. And it does that does handle it a little bit better. But in this film, that, that nuance just just isn't there. Dowding's fine with like French and Belgians joining RAF squadrons, but it really doesn't want the Poles and the Czechs. I mean, that's, that's basic. But I mean, I think early on they talk about, you know, they've lost two two wars and you know that did sort of stick to them. There's an assumption that there is something fundamentally wrong with not necessarily their training or discipline, but probably both those. But also, you know, you know, this idea that they've been basically sort of flying tiger moths. So you're just thinking, I mean, the Polish planes were pretty damn good, um, you know, and they are very adept as pilots. Yeah. As, um, but yeah, I mean, you've got all these reports written, sort of 38, 39, written for the British um, Air Ministry um, about how good the training is and how good the poles are and how good their airfields are and so forth. But it never sort of filters through to the front lines. You know, sort of Johnny Kent's there saying that he had no idea. All he knew about the poles was that they'd been wiped out in three days, which, again, isn't quite fair. But you just say, like, yeah, it's this communication um, sort of breakdown. I think perhaps as well it's that whole thing where, you know, over the over the over the decades where we sort of the way the polish experience of the second world war gets presented in like the west it's like oh they got steamrolled in a couple of days you know it's yeah. that whole myth thing which is completely unfair mm. so maybe it's just that maybe it's just lazy writing again where they can't be bothered to say to tell the actual truth or go and research it properly they just want to write what they feel you know and in a historical movie you can't really do that I mean, I just I do think that's just one of the most unforgivable things in this film that they don't show the poles fighting back. It it just it Which is weird considering the audience it was made for. It it seems that you would show that. Yeah. You would yeah. want to show the reality of what actually happened. Um, yeah. rather than that stereotype of them being steamrolled as, as Rob said, but it's just they don't they don't do it. Yeah, because no. the, the Polish experience is is fascinating. You know, like Roger Morehouse's book First to Fight is just oh, it's incredible. You know, you're like, please tell me more. And then this movie just doesn't. You're like, oh, OK. It's just disappointing. Well, on yeah. that note, Rob, what's, what was your favourite scene? Oh, Christ. Well, yeah, I was, I was racking my brains. And it's it's re it's a, more of a favourite piece of dialogue. Because um, I think the dialogue's not great the whole way through, really. But there are some some bits in there that's quite nice. Um, it might be so great in the original Polish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but there's a bit where it's really early on. And a Heinkel or a Junkers uh, transport plane comes down into the the, the German uh, airfield, and Goering gets out. And I was like, "Wow, that's a dead ringer for Goering. Like, it really looks like him. You know, he's there in his cream cream suit that he that he famously wore. Um, and he's sort of like, you know, there's this sort of like slimy Nazi, you know, uh, lieutenant or lieutenant or whatever. And he's sort of like cozying up to Goering, you know, trying to be a bit of a toady. And uh, Goering smoking this big fat cigar, and the guy goes, "Oh, I love, uh, I love the smell of a good cigar." And then Goering turns around and goes, "I love the smell of burning air, burning British aircraft." And I, it made me laugh because so I was like, "Wow, that's cold!" <laughs> Such an evil villain line is. I really liked it, um, and yeah, and I quite like the, the 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 likeness of the chap who played Goering. I thought that was quite good. Never thought I'd, you know. 
never thought I'd be uh, praising Goering on the show, but there we have it. But that was my little standout there, just like that bit of dialogue. It's quite nice. And the bit at the end where he's on vinyl and he's giving it to that chap in the bed. It's really weird, you know. I think that's supposed to be a motivational speech. Yeah, it, but it, it reminded me, you know, in um, Death of Stalin, where they're trying to re-record the... the, the uh, like Oh, the, the concert, yeah. The concert, yeah, it reminded mm-hmm. me of that a little bit. I was just thinking there's like two two German sort of <laughs> lads trying to be like, we need to record this for this one guy. It just was a bit weird to me, but yeah. And how he's like, get me the head of that British bulldog. You know, it's like, okay. I can kind of buy the buy that dialogue there. It's quite, it was all right, you know. But yeah, that's my favourite little bit there. What about you, Matt? Have you decided on one way? Well, I, I mean, I've str- I struggled with this one. I mean, there's some standout weird scenes, you know, where the, the king sort of gets handed the, the squadron mascot dog. Um, and he says yeah. really woodenly, doesn't he? Now I know that we'll win the war. Yeah, yeah, like, and I'm okay. starting to feel a bit Polish myself, and yeah. you're like, okay, it's um, right. yep. no Colin Firth, was he? That chap? No, no. Um, no. But yes, I mean, the, one of the bits I, I I thought was you know fun. There's a bit where um, one of the RAF officers goes up with them, uh, and he he says, "This one's mine," and he sort of follows a, a Messerschmitt. Uh, doesn't quite manage to down him. Then a, a, a pole sort of swoops in and, and takes the kill so kills um st- steals his kill and he's like bloody pole and then um a little bit later in that dog fight the, there's a german plane on his tail and and the same polish pilot sort of saves him um and he's like bloody poles and he, it's that moment where he's sort of like flipped um it's a little bit sort of clunkily done but i see what they were going for and you know it's, it's quite quite good um it's better than just having a piece of dialogue where someone goes oh you're all right you polish pilots you know it, which is yeah what i think hurricane does um but yeah and it's in the fiedler book as well mm. Matt. so it's, there's this big doubt that the poles are just massively inflating that their kill kill rates and so stanley vincent does actually go up with them and, and then in the book again it's talking about you know that, he, that you know he lands and goes oh my god they're really doing it sort of thing. and again that would probably have been a better line than he suddenly pledges undying love for the poles which does seem a little <laughs> bit of a sort of conversion that that again highlights the fact that i didn't know that he was supposed to be playing stanley vincent or that was the character's name because it just we don't get introduced to people in a way that sort of sticks we found some positives which was you know, touch and go there for a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so I think that brings us into final thoughts as always. So Jenny, would you like to wrap up for us? The big thing is like, you've got these two films come out and, um, you know, focused specifically on 303 from the same source material. And they both seem to go out of their way to miss all the best bits. Um, not only like this, I mean, like the story of how the sort of Poles fight the Germans, withdraw to Romania, escape from internment camps, make their way to France. Some of them fly in France, make their way back to the UK, not even back to the, to the UK for the first time, for heaven's sake. Um, and then the sort of challenges they face. That's a flipping good story. Don't just sort of give me some evil chap sneering at the pole. You know, if you want us to feel sympathy, you, you need to give us something to work with here. Um, and then also, I mean, this is the point where, you know, two films about three or three. I mean, yeah, it's a good story. And yes, you're missing the best bit of the source material. But, you know, I mean, there's so many brilliant stories. Like, you know, um, the, the the whole of Europe is sort of um, listening to the radio set when the, the submarine, the Orgel, um, escapes um, from Estonia. Um, and then it's sort of, you know, without... Um, charts and um, without ammunition without water manages to navigate its way to the uk um for example so that's a flipping brilliant story there's the whole sort of the the first polish armor division i mean I, i've got a friend who i know is trying to get a film made about this at the moment but like hill 262 where you've got you know the first polish armor division holding out against the entire sort of german seventh army trying to escape from the fillets gap it's a brilliant a brilliant story waiting to be told and he said we get these two which are okay um but they've been done and the battle of britain really just did it all better effortlessly in one single scene and um, so, so just what are we doing really that sums it up doesn't it it's a missed opportunity it does feel like it massively and it's a bit of a shame because this is what this is what i always say i'm gonna say it again i'll say it every bloody week so till people are annoyed about me saying it but these movies are really important they have to do right by their subject matter because if someone who knows nothing about the polls and they're 
you know, their amazing um, wartime heroics um, and their sacrifices and things. If someone comes away from this movie now thinking, oh, what, the, what did the Poles actually do? Why are they that important? Why are they making two movies about them? That's really unfair. These movies can't be like this, like this movie that we've just watched, because it, it gives an unfair portrayal of the people. And if we're going to use movies going forward to do more representation and, and, and remembrance, as I, as I feel like these films should be made for, then I just think it's such a shame. And I think that's how, why I came away so dumbfounded with these, with this movie, with, with 303 Squadron at least. I was just like, well, for, for a Polish movie to do the polls dirty, for me, it's just really weird. I, I don't know, like, who the audience is for. I don't know, like, some of the choices made for the movie is just really bizarre. And I think just, you know, my... my base feeling is just that yeah it's just poor a poor representation of events and a poor film it doesn't feel like a a coherent narrative um in that there's so much in there that doesn't really need to be in there there's elements that just feel like they've been included because they thought that plot point would work but then it fell flat and or Mm. perhaps things were cut out uh, but as we as we said like the cgi some of it isn't bad um some of the cinematography with the hurricane uh in flight was was really good so it's got its plus points and it's got its negatives i think actually it it'd be interesting if you watch both this and hurricane they perhaps fill in some gaps and sort of complement each other in a weird way obviously the plots are quite different and the approaches to some of the characters such as zombacks you know are quite different but yeah it's a bit of a disappointment i think in that it doesn't do the subject matter and, and the actual pilots and no. aircraft crew the justice that really does need to be done for them and as you say jenny there's so many other great stories from the polish experience of world war ii that could be told what, what can you say about these films i mean jenny is there anything you'd like to add finally before we wrap up stun silence on fighting on film for, for once yeah I mean, I do, oh no, I mean, I really do admire the attempt to sort of try and fuse the the British and the Polish experience. And and I think we were saying, like, they don't know who the audience is, but you're basically, they're trying to cram so much and they, you know, and it's like they lost sight of everything, wasn't it? You know, you've got, you know, you're trying to bring out the Battle of Britain's significance for Britain. You're trying to bring out, you know, the sort of, uh, the Polish experience and you're trying to sort of bring in this mm-hmm. sort of experience of this squadron and there's just there's so much that they could have done and they just they lost they lost the plot really didn't they when, when there's sort of just you know storyline it was there a storyline do they just throw it up in the air see what I, I don't know um, but it's it, it's just it is su- such a sort of as you say missed opportunity for I think possibly the 25th time today it's yeah, yeah. I think so. I mean, I, I tweeted out earlier that we were before we started recording. You know, does this one hit the heights or does it fail at takeoff? And I think this one did fail at takeoff. <laughs> and there you go. I mean, thanks for joining us, Jenny. It's been brilliant talking to you and and actually being able to learn a little bit more about the Polish experience throughout the episode. Yes. Um, that's been really really interesting. And yeah, thank you for uh, joining us. No, no, thanks for the invite. It's been fun. It's fun. Brilliant. And we'll have to get you on for another Polish film. Brilliant. Yes, definitely. So Jenny, where can people find you on on Twitter and on online if they want to f- learn more about the Polish experience? Uh, so on Twitter, uh, my handle is at Silence in Polish, uh, which you know Battleton fans might recognise. But yeah, at Silence in Polish, that'd be great. Thank you. No problem. Be sure to check Jenny out because her work is absolutely fabulous. So as always, you can like, share, subscribe the show uh, to the show, uh, give us a, a review on whatever you're listening on, and we'll catch you again next time. Bye everybody. Thanks guys. Bye.